0: Hello, welcome to The Truth is Hard to Swallow. This is my first episode um, that I've decided to record. Um, It's about 3 a.m. I'm actually from Portland, Oregon. Uh, So it's still pretty dark out. I work night shifts. So um, I just wanted to start this out uh, just because I am a respiratory therapist, been doing this for 10 years. Um, I've worked at multiple different organizations within the state of Oregon. Um, And I wanted to start my first podcast off with um, talking about COVID-19. Um, this will basically have um, no guest interviewer. It's basically just me telling you my thoughts from the front lines as a respiratory therapist. Um, I deal with these COVID-19 patients uh, directly up front. I Just about every single patient that I see right now is on rule out, which means they're in testing or they, uh, they've tested positive. We've actually had about 12 people test positive at our hospital. We've had one death, uh, 61-year-old man that uh, it was very sad. Um so where I wanted to start today is something that's a little bit um i guess different than uh what people would expect me to start talking about covid nineteen and one thing is uh about the medical professionals and social media um regarding all this um I've been seeing a lot of people like nurses, doctors, respiratory therapists, medical assistants um posting frames up on their facebook page that say um I can't stay home, I'm a nurse, or I can't stay home, I'm a doctor or healthcare professional. And one thing that uh, when I did start to see that was uh, the number one thing that went into my mind is that people are lacking perspective through this entire pandemic. And uh, one one thing that I see is that there's at least one person on that person's uh, friend's Like Facebook friends list that um, is basically saying, hey, man, at least you've got a job, or at least you can feed your kids, or at least you've got this, at least you've got that. And uh, people will debate, you know, well, you're getting a stimulus check, you're getting this, you're getting that, you know, it's it's not, they try and turn the narrative. And really, what it comes down to is perspective. Um, There's actually a lot of people that aren't even getting that government stimulus. And um, the main thing that I've seen is, single non-custodial parents that are in the family court system that have racked up a lot of back support. Um, I found out from the government, uh, from a lot of the uh, mainstream, um, that these people will have it garnished straight from them. So there's at least one person on somebody's friends list that's seeing that going, man, I can't even catch a break. Um, So I mean, it's it's kind of like a, a perspective. Maybe there's some entitlement thing. A lot of the way I see it is we signed up to do this. Um just like a carpenter signed up for you know a mass in houses uh you know what i mean it's it's based on profession if there's a mass outbreak of crime, the police officers are called to duty so i I can see where people 's pride are, but I feel like people are either flossing or looking for attention so that's one thing i've been trying to change I've put a couple facebook posts, Instagram posts, and i've seen people taking that off and making more unified messages. Such as uh, United, we are all in this together, we'll all get over COVID 19, something like that, or um, proud to be a healthcare worker, something like that that's not flossing or looking for some attention. I really respect that um, in people that have actually changed that. So, when talking with COVID 19, a lot of people, um, friends, family, people ask me, well, how bad is it? You know, is it really as bad as people say? um, Are the ERs flooded? You know, this and this and that. I work in a small community hospital that's. Basically uh, tied with one of the main hospitals, OHSU, uh, Oregon Health and Science University. Uh, One thing that I've noticed is that um, a lot of these patients that I can gut instinctively tell that they are probably COVID-19 positive um, are usually uh, above 55 years old, um, have comorbidities. Um, A lot of the time it's COPD or congestive heart failure. That's one of the number one or usually uh, kidney failure, but that's usually secondary to the heart failure or the respiratory failure. So we've been seeing these people come through that, uh, they're a different type of pic- clinical picture for us. Uh, basically we're masked up, we're gowned up, we're in full, you know, personal protective equipment. Uh, but when we're in these rooms, uh, these people are presenting with, uh, high fevers, of course, the dry cough. But we've also noted that a lot, a lot of these patients are fluid overloaded. Um, they'll come in with their heart failing. Um, so they're dealing with this sickness on top of heart failure, which is just spiraling them. Um, and it's it's super hard to treat. Um, a couple of things that uh, I've been looking at are alternative therapies. I know that uh, they've been talking about chloroquine, a couple of uh, different like malaria drugs. Uh, one thing that I've been looking into myself is um, a, um, a certain... Dilution of 3% hydrogen peroxide nebulized to patients directly to the tissue of infection when they have the pneumonia. And one thing that is, strikes me interesting about this is it's a way of not attacking the virus but wiping the receptors and attacking the cells that they bind to, um, which is an interesting thing. I, I'm, there's not very much clear study on it. I've seen some YouTube videos with people that are asthmatics and have COPD that type of stuff that, um, have been using this therapy actually, and there was a lady, I can't remember her name, I'll probably end up putting her, uh, links in the, um, description of the video, but she was, uh, she had acquired influenza A or B, one of the two, so she got the flu, um, was super sick, was an asthmatic, had a lot of issues on top of that, And, uh, ended up taking the hydrogen peroxide treatments for about 72 hours and ended up overcoming all of the symptoms of the virus. So it's just really weird how something so small that we wouldn't really even think like, you know, we come up with these big things like chloroquine and this and that, that maybe the easiest way to get through something like this is something just as simple as hydrogen peroxide. You know, I'm not going to put my money on it or bank on it or nothing like that. Um, But I will say that I think there's a lot more to all of this that we don't understand. Um, Coming from the RT, from the frontline perspective, I've seen a couple people um, from the frontline really stress on, you know, masks and gloves and, you know, all these PPE. And one thing I've been telling people, and this is to the public too is it doesn't matter how many masks or protection you have, if you don't wash your hands, if you're not sanitizing yourself, you're at risk 110%. So it's, it's three times as contagious as the flu. That's what we've found out statistically. That's what we've seen clinically. So one thing that I can't stress enough is over the next two months until summer, stay away from your elderly family members it doesn't matter if you've tested negative for it or if you've tested positive and you've developed the antibodies stay away from anybody that's old at least for a couple months just so that this all dies down and we don't end up you know causing more destruction than we could we could control this and you know we've seen a lot of good results in Portland here mainly because we've practiced social distancing really well um, I've noticed that we were pretty much first on the ball to close a lot of stuff. So I think that's actually why we got ahead of the game with, uh, versus, uh, Washington and California was California, you know, it's so overcrowded and there's so much going on that, you know, one infected person out in the public infects so many people. Whereas Portland, it's not as big of a city. And it seemed as though we were pretty quick on the draw when we heard it was coming out from China that we knew we were going to have an issue. Um, I just know that as evidenced by um, just within the medical field, I had various people from Providence Health and Services, um, Legacy, uh, OHSU, uh, Tuolity. Um, a bunch of these different organizations reached out to me and a couple different RTs to pull together a plan on how we're going to approach this entire virus. So I think there was more unity in our state than there was in other states. So I have looked at the statistics and I know that we still haven't hit our quote unquote projected peak. Um, but one thing I think is that, uh, COVID-19, it's going to take a couple months. Uh, we watched, you know, the SARS pandemic. We watched H1N1. We watched MERS. We watched a bunch of these pandemics fly by us. And something I've noticed is that we've never really pursued the vaccine after the virus is squashed. And that's another thing that, um, I'm thinking might happen as I think that this might slow down rapidly to a point where we might just stop all of our, you know, production of vaccines and research into it. It's happened before. So what I can say is everybody that's going through this, just hold tough. Um, I know that, uh, financial, you know, times are tough right now. The economy is going crazy. One thing I can give to you guys for advice is once this is all over, I think that we should really focus on how the small individual can make shockwaves through the economy. Um, and one thing I've been telling people is uh, buy locally. Uh, go to a lot of your farmers markets. Um, you know, once this, once everything opens back up, you want to go to a lot of uh, mom and pop shops restaurants uh and you know try and avoid the big guys like applebee's and uh, you know walmart stuff like that uh try and feed the small businesses because what this what this economy is like headed the where the crash has put us is a lot of these small businesses are not thriving and they're going to have a lot of issues coming back up in the game and in my perspective i see the middle class diminishing when it comes to small businesses not getting those breaks that they should to the economy. Um, There's been a lot of toss back and forth between government on what's going on and, you know, where the money's going and this and that. There's a lot of confusion. What I can tell people is um, when you come out of this, the best thing to do is to grind too. Grind and hustle. Get yourself on a really good job that you enjoy, but also find out a side hustle that you like. Start selling stuff on the side if you want or making stuff on Etsy. or You know, there's... I I honestly go to thrift stores and I will buy something and sell it for three, four times as much as it's worth online. And it's just a way of making numbers. I I think that I'm more worried about the post-economic destruction and rebuild than I am the virus itself. Um, I think that the virus is containable. The economy isn't sustainable under these circumstances. So... We've already had kind of a shaky run already, especially since 09. If you ask me, I think that once we do pull out of this, that the education system will probably get shit on just like the banks did in 09. I think that uh, some of these universities and trade schools that put in for people that, you know, I think it's gonna crash down on them. Uh, That's the only way to trim the fat is off the education system. So I just, I really think that's where it's headed. Um, I would love to hear people's thoughts on this. Um, if you're a nurse, doctor, uh, what even if you're a business financial type, you know, I'd like to hear your side of how how has COVID-19 affected you? How has COVID-19 affected your profession with this whole lockdown? What has it been like working from home? Um, I'm a respiratory therapist. I work in the hospital. So obviously my job hasn't changed as uh, dramatically as some others. Mine has just been more forefront, frontline with the disease process. So it's I'm interested to see people's perspectives where everybody's sitting um obviously we know that our perspective isn't our own and i think it's really important that people get heard on this issue um it's a really shaky time a really scary time for people and i feel for a lot of people that have been out of work and this and that and it's just it's really crazy to see how unified our country has become though um like i'll just give you an example this is kind of like a weird example but um I uh, ended up, like, basically adopting a cat that had been homeless outside of my apartment complex for about a year, um, and uh, my neighbors noticed that I took him in, and uh, they've been dropping off, you know, six packs of beer and cat food through this whole thing. I mean, they, people have really unified, and I've seen so much respect, and just people have just shown so much love. It's amazing. I'm really hoping that after all this is done, when we come out the other side, I hope that we understand the value of perspective and um, and how important it is that we respect other people's perspectives and what they're going through. Um, because, you know, someone in the medical field that isn't really seeing a change on the forefront versus someone losing their job, its it's a big gap in perspective. And I think that if people can understand that, and if people can understand that, then they will operate in society in a way that doesn't really expose them as, uh, not narcissistic, but doesn't expose them as, uh, ignorant, I would say, because everybody's got a different, everybody's got different things going on. It doesn't matter what, you know, and this virus has caused so many issues for everybody that are just vast. So, I mean, it'd be great just to hear everybody's experience. Um, uh, I think the, the next topic after COVID, uh, I think I'm probably, well, here's the deal. How about you guys lean out to me with a couple topics. You can email me. I can go ahead and phone you guys up over Anchor or however we do it. Um, And uh, I'd love to uh, start maybe talking about medical research. Um, Let's see. What else could we talk about? We could talk about Tiger King, if anyone's got some... uh, some, uh, insight on if that, if he was really killed or what really happened. But if you guys want to go ahead and chime in on anything, I'm totally down to just spit down a a podcast, 15, 20 minute session with you guys. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I could give you about COVID-19, uh, frontline. One thing I can tell you about the um, PPE shortage that uh, people are complaining about. Um, First off, people complain way too much. That's the first thing. The second thing is I think that our country handled the PPE shortage way... way too... uh, Mm. I think that our government actually handled it with no grace whatsoever... Personally, what I would have done, um, and I know this isn't me from a perspective of a judge of being, um, I'm more of just trying to put this out there as a realistic perspective. I would have taken all of the regular surgical masks out of every single healthcare institution and I would have dispersed it to the public, um, and the reason is, is because we already have N95s, we have, uh, you know, ventilated helmets, we have goggles, we have 3M duck bills, we have all of these really integrated masks that if we would have given all these regular procedure masks that are, you know, of low-grade quality, medium-grade quality, we could have handed them out to the public, um, and that would have protected a lot of our um, uh, high-risk populations. So, I mean, I think that we, we handle, we didn't handle it delicately enough. Um, Also, there's an issue with the government with how they haven't really restocked our emergency supply ever since MERS in 2012. So there's a lot of factors that contribute to it. But I honestly think that, you know, uh, with our small businesses and big businesses stepping up, creating masks and ventilators, we should have out of the gate started masking the public. Um, And that's something I've done with a lot of people when we've discharged them, you know, even if they've had COVID-19 or they've been in for something small and, you know, very minor um, when they're discharged and nursing is handing out their paperwork as a respiratory therapist, I will go in there and give them their inhaler to go home with or whatever it may be, but I'll also provide them with a procedure mask to go home with. And I think it's really important to do that because these people are going straight from the hospital from you know, a high infection, you know, transmission environment to home and the general public. So to mask them for, you know, even two weeks if they're just wearing it out in public reduces the transmission risk to somebody else, but also reduces the transmission risk to them so they're not inhaling it. And a lot of people say, well, it's not sufficient enough. You, you, need, you need an N95 to protect you from the virus. Well, a procedure mask is better than nothing. Just as they're saying to make one out of a bandana or to make one out of cloth, it's better than nothing. So this is a uh, first episode on COVID-19. Why don't you, uh, you guys send me your, uh, your emails, contact information, and we'll get uh, get started on some interviews. All right? Peace out.